Hello, and welcome to the Three Wise DMs podcast, where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for, frankly, way too long talk about how we handle all the tricky ins and outs of running a game of D&D or whatever else you might play. I'm Thorne, and like my namesake from The Hobbit, well, I suppose I'm leading this expedition. And I'm joined by... Tony. And the newbie in the group, Dave. That's right. Dave Dave has been DMing a little less long than me and Tony, who are both who are DMing careers are old enough to at least drink. And perhaps quality, not quantity. And tonight we're going to talk about, you know, with all the experience we just mentioned, we're going to talk about what are the biggest mistakes we've made DMing and what happened. What did we do about it? What do we wish we had done differently? So to kick off, uh, Dave, I think you wanted to start us off here. So tell us, what is what is a mistake you've made while DMing? And as we were kind of discussing a little bit in the pre, you guys don't even know, we have a whole meeting right before we start talking and we really, we really nail this stuff down. To be fair though, we usually forget everything we said 30 (laughs) seconds into the podcast. So it's not, I wouldn't call it planning. It's more like an attempt at planning that everyone just forgets and we get to our own thing. We have a meeting about having a meeting. Mm. But my main, my main, my main point was that uh, it's interesting because we always, you always see on, you go on Facebook groups or whatever, and you're gonna see people talking about what's your biggest mistake, how did I, I just screwed my players, I just ruined the campaign, whatever it might be, and in my opinion, it's what are we defining mistakes as? Because when you're DMing, if you aren't making mistakes, pretty much the entire session. I don't know if you're DMing because you're not getting into situations that you haven't already planned for or or already been in. Uh, so that's kind of that's going to be my my high overview. And then we'll so, dive in. I yeah. will say the TPK that I unintentionally put players through uh, in one of my first games probably was a mistake uh, that I, <laughs> I had to rectify. Um, and. On a on a more general note, uh, mistakes for me would have been when I had story and plot overtake player agency. Well, let's, so let's take a look at that. Planned or mistakenly? Because I know I know I know how I would respond to that. I mean, so your first proposition there is that it's not a mistake. You know, most of these things aren't mistakes. They, you know, you make you make a bunch of mistakes any one session. That's just part of being a DM. Tony, what do you think of that? Well, I think a mistake. Um, it could be looked at as do we have one player that's miffed or did the whole <laughs> campaign tank that that's what I would define a mistake as. However, Dave mentioned the TPK. I kind of want to, you know, explore that a little bit. I remember back in the day, a friend of mine ran a module called nightmare keep. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but it was one of those modules that had a real reputation for difficulty, danger, lethal traps and beforehand, um, before I got a crack at this module, my friend who was running it had run a different group through this module, and they all wiped halfway through. Maybe a handful of them survived to run away and tell the tale of it, and that's how I was introduced to this module. My buddy who had ran this game um, had basically wiped out the last party who attempted this, and my group was like, well, all right challenge accepted and that really added a layer of mystique and the stakes were dramatically raised for us because another group of gamers who played in the same town with us they all died or ran away with their tails between their legs 
So we're like, no, no, we are the apex gamer in, in te- the town. No, th- this is, we can do this. We're the A team. And we came into that game with that whole approach. And it really made it, a, and it was a really, really, a really fantastic book module, but this really turned it into something really, truly magical. You know, that's the thing about TPKs. It's, I think as a, as a, D, as a DM, you got to be careful with them because you can burn a party out. But mm-hmm. at the same time, if you're if, if it happens naturally, it's organic, it often becomes the best story in the party. It's the most the thing that killed us all, so long as it doesn't happen every every month or, or, or once every mm-hmm. six months. So long as it's rare, the thing that killed us all is now the most epic legendary villain we ever fought. It's so but if I can hear between the two of you though, it sounds as if it was a known quantity that you were gonna be running straight headlong into the meat grinder as opposed to maybe just accidentally running into the meat grinder, like I what I call the red cap incident. Thorne, would you like to uh, elucidate that point? Well, so the red cap incident. Let me set the scene. The incident Dave's talking about is not the first time I've killed a party, nor is it the first time I've, I've had kind of the desk get out of my control. And the nice thing is I had had this happen often enough in the past. I knew what to do about it. So... This particular incident is in the uh, the writers group game we're in. So it's about seven players out of a writers group Dave and I both participate in, and it's a lot of uh, several new players, several old pl- several old players who've been playing for a while. So I got different levels of players, and uh, we're all doing. Fi- we, this is the first five E game we started, so it was my first time playing five E. Everyone's first time playing five E, and at second level, I had them run into a group of red caps. Uh, which are CR2 monsters. And my thinking was, wow, wouldn't it be great if I had one CR2 monster for everyone in the party? They each fight a red cap. This is a terrible idea. <laughs> I, I did not think I have a handle on the fact that be, CR2 monsters. Just as a, quick, uh, as a quick <laughs> tutorial, the general formula for CR as, as put forth by uh, Crawford and Perkins was that for a level one, a, a level appropriate party of four players of that level, one of these monsters would be a, a difficult challenge, not deadly, but difficult. So just so we have some. <laughs> so we're going through this and, you know, you can see it going bad, actually. So Dave's character happened to blow a roll, but had he made a roll, they might have stood a chance, which is amazing in its own right. Yeah. But yeah. the cleric went down in like the first round and it was all downhill from there. Um, so I'm getting to this point where I'm realizing, okay, I've put out too many monsters. This is too hard for them. They've made no mistakes. This is just as a DM, I made a mistake in that I, 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 I misscoped the, the encounter. Um, so what I did, but I know I've done that before. You know, I've had a lot of players die over the years to the extent where I kind of consider a part of the DMing art to know, to not kill players by accident. You know, if you go back to second edition, there were so many times you killed first and second level players just totally by accident. Like that shouldn't have been that hard an encounter. A couple goblins, critical hit, someone critical misses, all of a sudden three of the players are dead. Um, so I've gone through that. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, so I went to basically, so what I knew to do in this case and what I did was as the red cap started rolling them, they got a little vicious. They did kill the ranger's dog. They killed the ranger's wolf, which was, which was sad. And I'm sorry I did that. Um, but they basically captured the party. So this is a case of a this is a case of a quote mistake that really doesn't have a real long term 
penalty because it became this epic encounter, became this thing the players mentioned. It led to one of their best nights of gaming because they were going to be sacrificed to the to this evil tentacle monster god thing in the game. Uh, they had an encounter with the with one of the main protagonists, and it's 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 someone who one of the players is trying to trying to save from evil. They had this big climactic encounter on the cliff overlooking the sacrifice pit. The paladin was able to stop this anti-paladin using one of his one of his smites. So it went really well in the long run. And it's become this terrifying, really flavorful thing we talk about now, the red cap yeah. encounter. Yeah, exactly. So that was a mistake in the sense that I was going to kill the party and I had to adjust. But having done that a lot before, I knew how to adjust. And that adjustment is when you see your monster start to roll the party, pull the plug, readjust, you know, make the monsters not going, decide the monsters aren't going to try to kill them. They're going to try to capture them pull the players into something else that usually lets you ratchet up the tension in your story because they're going to encounter some kind of high priest or whatever, but you can basically let them encounter some of the villains that are a little higher up in level than you plan to and put them in an escape situation where they can't fight where they are. They got to find a way out and then throw it back to them to tell you how they're going to escape. So that was that mistake, but I knew how to handle that mistake because I've made it so many times before. And there are so many times I killed parties. I didn't mean to that. I learned that trick. You know, if you see it, if you see it start to snowball against the party, call an audible on what their plan is. You know, this, this group of villains is, is now it's like the nemesis system. If you played shadow of Mordor or any of those games, um, if an enemy captain kills your guy he now becomes a named villain who will keep leveling up with your guy he's now your nemesis he'll keep coming back later and later stronger than you are and keep killing you until you're able to take him down and when you can take him down it's this huge accomplishment so oh, it kind cool. of becomes like that that's um cool. yeah so the, so the red caps have become sort of this group's nemesis system enemy so okay i've rambled for a bit tony i mean what what do you think of uh, that kind of problem well there is a problem because TPKs, while it should be avoided, I never want my players in a situation where they're wandering around my environment and then they think, well, goodness, we'll go down to this dark area and undoubtedly we'll be jumped by a monster, but it'll be level appropriate and we'll mop mm. it up. Bullshit. Yeah. yeah no way. No, I got to throw in some monsters that, you know, you look at and you get white knuckled and you look at this monster and it's like, <laughs> okay, leave, retreat. <laughs> Get a plan. Use your environment to your advantage. Something. Don't try to attack it head on. If you do, you know what? It's like the old axiom. How many people does it take to deliver a message? Well, you know what? Not everybody needs to make it back to town. I won't kill everybody. <laughs> but you know what? If there's the, in the there's this CR monster that's multiple levels higher than you should probably take a stab at, and you do, and you throw a punch, and you get cute, and you want the XP, and you take him down... Awesome. But if you don't, you knew kind of what you were doing here. Unless you're dealing with more novice players, and that's different. Dave? Mm. No, I think, that, I think that that's excellent. And back to your point early, Tone, what you were saying, um, where you it was almost like meat grinders and it became legendary. Uh, I think there are very specific ones. I mean, right off the bat, uh, the earliest one, Tomb of Horrors, and now uh, in the 5e editions, mm. Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah. Um, there's also one they threw back. I think they put Tomb of Horrors back into the Tales of the Yawning Portal one, uh, which is an update for 5e of a lot of the older modules. Um, those were are legendarily meat grinders. Like, you mm. make five guys 
right now because you're going to lose probably most of them and we're not going to get to level two. But you know that walking in. So I think part of it is having uh, I also agree, Tone, with you, like the idea of level appropriate everywhere, that the world just happens to be built just for you. Uh, you know, I think it's kind of lame. Yeah. yeah, there's a balance to be found there, you know, but I think that, that goes with having to know your players. You know, if you have a bunch of players that are super into like the narrative and the story and the RP of their character that they've spent so much time building and you kill them, uh, they might not be having a great time. So I think there's a it's finding the rhythm of, of your of that specific table, too. Right. And, you know, it comes down to the idea of what is really an error. Um, had you guys initiated that encounter, I wouldn't have considered it my mistake so much. I would have given you a chance to decide, do you want to go in or out? I would have given you some clues to the power levels of the monster. And that is something a DM's got to kind of mm-hmm. get the handle on too, mm-hmm. communicating how tough these guys are. No, that it wasn't was the situation in the red cap encounter. If you remember, I had ambush. you guys come yep. up to a slaughter. The red caps were hiding like mushrooms and they jumped mm-hmm. out and they ambushed you all on the edge of a cliff. Uh, you had no chance to run away. So that's another thing that factors in there. Not only did I overclock the encounter by a lot, I also presented it as a trap. And you got to be more careful with traps than with optional encounters. Because a trap is an encounter, a combat you're forcing on the party. The kind of thing Tony's talking about, where you kind of have a big bad is on the kind of the corner, that's more of a boundary, right? That's more like the Midgard Serpent in Final Fantasy VII. That's like, okay, don't run into this thing, find another way around. I didn't give you guys the option to negotiate or sneak around or run away from this encounter. Just pop up, hey, six red caps, let's have a little fun. And it turned out it was it was it was slaughter. Um, so that's a mistake. I do consider that to be a mistake. I don't consider it to be a massive kind of mistake that jeopardizes the campaign because I adjusted in the party and and, and now it's just a and now it's just a, a an epic memory the party has. So I, I feel pretty good about that from that point of view. If we really want to talk about DMing mistakes, um the kind of thing I think of a real DMing mistake, you don't really recognize at first because it has long-term effects that warp your campaign. I'll give you one example from early in my, early in my, when I was DMing uh, game Tony was in, uh, it actually was a great game. This did not ruin the game necessarily, but I, it was a little Monty hall. I started giving players second edition game. I started giving players a lot of cool powers and some, in some, in some kind of half-baked kind of, uh, uh, um, house rule abilities and stuff like that. And what happened was the players got really powerful really quickly. Mm. And what, what wound up happening was in second edition, it was in CR, it was hit dice. So like a two hit die monster could be equal yeah. to like a two, two level two party. Yeah. What wound up happening was really quickly. I never had a chance to use the monsters that were hit dice, say three through nine. I very quickly ramped the party up to where they were fighting 10, 11, 14 hit die monsters. And that really limited the kinds of monsters I could throw at them too early. So instead of having a long career where the players fight like, you know, like I kind of jumped over the bugbear, the owlbear, the umber hulk, the belays, uh, like, like all those kind of cool mid range kind of like, you know, the, the monsters as you're kind of going through your name levels before you kind of hit like ninth level in the Lordship, you know, all that kind of like local area monster stuff I'd hopped over. So I couldn't use any of it. So I had to jump the whole party right up to more or less epic monsters. And this is a campaign that literally, I swear to God, ended with breeding Tarrasque because the party could shoot through Tarrasque like nothing. And I actually had to put no one should multiple Tarrasque against the party. <laughs> that I kind of consider more of a mistake because I, I empowered the party so much that I was able to adjust for it and throw harder monsters at them. But 
it was too much. Like you could only adjust so much to where I constantly, in order to challenge the party, I had to throw massive amounts. Like, I mean, just crazy, stupid stuff at this party to really challenge them because I let too much power into it too early. And I had made that mistake, not later on. I made that mistakes around levels like three. Like, so I had made the mistake so early that I couldn't see the impact that was going to have on the game. That, to me, is more of a DMing mistake. I regretted that more than I regretted the Red Cap Encounter. Because the Red Cap Encounter is one and done. As long uh, as you handle it okay, you have a good story. You, When you really warp your campaign, you now either need to power down players, which players hate, or you have to just keep ramping up your monsters until it's kind of like, okay, we well, guys topped out at level 12. <laughs> mm. So, so tell, yeah. yeah, like I think Thorne was just saying about that, like you're you were talking about literally derail, like just destroying a campaign, derailing it entirely. What uh, go more into that? I'm not sure exactly in what way you mean. Well, OK, an example uh, a fellow DM did. I'm going to use this. There's a principle. And actually, Thorne, I believe, agrees with me on this principle that sometimes players are more interesting when bad things happen to them. Mm-hmm. OK, it adds some depth. You know, not everybody can be Batman and not everybody can be Spawn, but you got a kind of a grittier background. I, I regret that. So my one character in this one campaign that was running from back in the day, his parents got wiped out. His kingdom got wiped out. OK, here we are starting fresh. You know, the last we're the last of my race kind of uh, the elves kind of bit. But this villain was chasing me who was so out of my weight class. It was preposterous. And he was constantly dogging me and there was nothing we could do. It was absurd. It was like, I'm little Mac in the minor circuit. And I just beat like piston Honda and here comes iron Mike. And that was not fun. It was just getting beaten and running. I would end up like three, four games later. I felt like Richard Pryor where I was just afraid of everything. (laughs) And I am appreciating these analogies between Mike Tyson's punch out and Richard Pryor. Some of our listeners won't know what the fuck you're talking about, but I love it. I love it. (laughs) So, 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 so Tony, so, you know, there is, I do think there is some logic to having the kind of game. I did not DM that campaign. It wasn't me. me. (laughs) Wasn't me. Um, But I do think there is some logic to saying, I do like to introduce the boss monster that the characters can't kill yet. And it's the classic kind of the bad guy shows up, smacks you down, shows you how bad he is. And later you're going to get a chance to show down with him. But oh, for a while, no, no, you yeah. can terrorize them. I think oh, uh, Dave is doing this in Curse of Strahd, where yeah, and maybe that's absolutely. in the book, but Strahd shows up very early just to say hello. I will tell you, so not as a spoiler at all, but... Um, but, uh, one of the things I like about the Strat module that, that's been happening so far is they leave a, a level of it open so that it's not yeah. just this, then this, then this, right? Um, and they don't just always say, oh, everything's level appropriate. But I've read a lot of different boards about people who ran it, and uh, they love throwing Strat in several times because he's the whole goddamn thing, right? But at the same point, there's also that level of we got beat, we got beat. Now he's a nemesis. Now he's a villain. Just like now the Yeah, just like our brother Maynard is is the the anti-paladin from Thorin's campaign that he's running for the writers group. And he is now the big I mean, there's a much bigger bad, but he's the big bad that we could we could approach, that we could go after that gives us a reason to continue. Because I don't know any TV show where 
you don't have a big nemesis that you go out to because I don't know what I'm watching for unless it's well, like Seinfeld and even that had Newman, you know. Well, <laughs> so I mean, he's kind of your to some extent. If you know, if you're using TV show terminology, and I was I was a big Buffy. I mean, me and my wife are both big Buffy and Angel fans, Whedon fans, yeah, Josh Whedon universe fans. They tended to use a quote little bad, big bad setup to their to their to their seasons. Mm. So your season would introduce with the quote little bad, and he's the guy who kind of chases the, the 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 characters around for the beginning of the season, and then they introduce the big bad, and the big bad is like the big like you know the mayor who's actually a demon serpent and going to destroy the town. Um, so they kind and they would traditionally do the little bad showdown before the before kind of the mid season break, and then go from there with the second half of the season, build off of that. Um, it's a little bit like that. And in fact, I, I draw the comparison a little more even in that uh, Sir Morton is a little bit like Faith to uh, the angel of our paladin in the party. Uh, if you watch Buffy, you know, Faith was the kind of the anti-slayer. She was, she was kind of the, the anti-hero slayer who turned bad for a while. And Sir Morton, uh, Sir Morton is the paladin of the party. And Brother Maynard was one, a member of his order who has gone bad. And it's definitely a Faith kind of Buffy kind of thing going on now. Um, so that's just kind of the, the beats he kind of hit. But what Tony, yeah. I think, I think what Tony's really talking about is really, you know, when you have a, a character like that and you beat the party down with it, at some point it just becomes like a, it becomes like a torture, like torture porn for the DM. Yeah, no, I absolutely. There's, there's, there again, balance, always trying to find how do you deal with that? So Tony, what, I mean, do you have any more to say about that? Like how, what would you, how do you handle that in your own games? Uh, final point with continuity is where I keep coming back. So the bad guy shows up, say in, if I'm running Storm King Thunder to you, for you guys, and the last boss rolled up and his power level is well over 1 million. Let me just tell you, the last <laughs> boss in this is, is straight bullshit. I would hope so. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Like this fucking giant. Brace yourself. I mean, get Jesus clean underwear. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, like I was reading, I was reading the, the stat block. And I'm like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Let me not spoil anything. Um, but why wouldn't this boss just wipe you out? There's no, from a prof- as a professional villain over many campaigns, you don't toy with your, your with your adversaries like that. You show up, you've got them. I'm going to snuff you all the hell out. And if not, there has to be a really solid reason. Now, if you got it, great. And with Thorne says he shows up, he smacks you down, he leaves. Fine. Don't be a regular on the show. Get right. the hell out of there. Like, really. All right, you're, there, you're there as an exclamation point, and you don't want to overuse your exclamation points, as any writer will tell you. Like Q in Star Trek. I don't want to see him there every episode. Right. Actually, that's that's a great example, because if Q shows up every episode and is just growing with the Enterprise every episode, that's just bullshit. You know, that is literally – it's like, it's like welcome to the day's episode of bullshit on the Enterprise. That's what it would be like if you had Q every episode. Now, I ran, uh, I did some self-TPKs with my party where I talked my party into attacking a whole village full of ogres. Now, that wasn't the DM's fault. And the DM's like, what? Like, what? wait, there's like, Why there's got to be that? 40, 50 <laughs> ogres up there. And I'm like, we're doing this, guys. Come on. You're a cavalier. You're a barbarian. Come on. Oh, great, great point, Tom, because I feel like you can get that too, where the party is, they're powerful enough. That they 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 keep rolling things that maybe they shouldn't be able to, and they get a little ballsy, and then all of a sudden, do they hit something? We're like, oh, we could totally take this as we storm like 
you know, <laughs> the capital of the world or something, and, right? And, and halfway into that fight, I realized the horrible truth. This is the, this story is the legend of the macaroni sword because <laughs> my sword was cursed. And I didn't find out till about a third of the way through the battle. And we were actually cleaning up. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't hit anything anymore. Ooh. And that was a problem. So well, weapons, uh, we all tried. First weapons can be a mistake. You, you got to use those gently or they could turn they can turn a, a game on a character. We uh, all died. And the other players, the best part, we split off our main group. The other group, um, we had a game set up for like two days from now. And we were all here. I'm like, well, we could do something. We're all here. Let's attack the ogre stronghold. Well, it's just the three <laughs> of us. We got this. Come on, yeah. man. How many ogres were there? About fifty. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you gotta string oh. them out, man. You gotta make them come to you one like in small groups. You gotta hunt them. The hot we, we, have we them hit the hot gates. Thirty something of them, and we died. And the rest of them were these ogres are like, well, fuck. We just lost more than half of our forces, and we're gonna have to leave now. And the other guys came back, and they're like, what? No. No. And so the party managed to TPK itself and ruin the campaign. Yes. And, the, and what was the DM supposed to do in that? This poor DM, he's like, seriously? Yeah, that's what you want to do. Like, honestly, what I would have done, um, what I would have done in that case was, again, I think you get to a point, you can let the party die. If the party is on something blatantly stupid, I'm going to say, okay, you're going to die, and that's not my fault. Option A. Option B would be the ogres overwhelm the party um, somehow. But it sounds like the party was pretty even up to the ogre. So I don't know. I mean, like you said, the cursed sword is what turned it. Um, you know, maybe you start pulling players out, you know, non-lethally in some way uh, in kind of set up kind of a capture scenario. I don't um, know. That's tough with a, a stronghold of ogres, though. And because, we killed like, the chief. You gotta you gotta kind of play the monsters to a level of what are they gonna really do, and I don't see ogres capturing people necessarily. Well, it depends who they have to answer to, you, right? right? Or they capture the answer to, right? Yeah, that's depends. True. Depends. That's true. They're already living in a village. There's forty or fifty of them. There's oh. a social structure. Someone's in charge. So I mean, sure. this is this isn't like you know if you're yeah if it's like a couple ogres out in the woods that's a little different. Well, even they might be able to trade you for something better. Um, true. Something in, your, in their sack take you. I mean. Off. I, I, I would make that decision that that was going to be a TPK instead of something else. I mean, even even if you look at, like, say, The Hobbit, the ogres in The Hobbit, or they were trolls in The Hobbit, Troll, same idea. Trolls, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, they, that was the same deal, right? I mean, they basically <laughs> they basically rolled up on the camp and took all the dwarves, and they took the awful dwarven fighters. <laughs> what did you say, Tone? What a bunch of awful dwarven fighters, man. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, but I mean, look what Tolkien did there. It's Tolkien a ten-person had... party. Can you yeah. imagine DMing 10 players and, like, you still TPK? <laughs> I'm like, shit. But you, but, you know, take the lesson from Tolkien there. Tolkien, he didn't, you know, he didn't let the ogres kill all the dwarves. He put, yeah. they, they were going to make, they were going to basically stew the dwarves and eat them as stew. And in that time, Gan, Bilbo and Gandalf were able to come by and save their, and save the dwarves. So yeah, set up that kind of opportunity. Checks. He made some persuasion checks like a beast. Hey, hey charisma is not a dump stat anymore. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> So, but Tony, so you've talked about the kind of mistakes other DMs have made when you were playing. What about mistakes you've made as a DM? 
Well, that comes to a superhero campaign I ran outside of mm-hmm. D&D. Uh, it was set in a modern city like Detroit. In fact, it technically was Detroit. I believe somebody else did this somewhere else. <laughs> I wasn't aware of the context of that. I did my own thing. I thought it was a great idea. And on the face of this, it was one of those great good on paper ideas. The players can mix and match powers, backgrounds, abilities, make colorful new character concepts or take an existing character concept and replicate it in a kind of a fan sense and just let you run with it. The sky's the limit on your imagination, not the powers per se. You're getting, you know, powers within a structure. I'm not saying you're going to start with unearthly strength. Dave knows what I'm talking about. Marvel Superheroes RPG by TSR in the 80s. Yellow (laughs) box. The, the point stands that I, I was really excited. I put the world together. I fleshed out all the details about the terrain, the landmarks. I used current events, like who was the real mayor of Detroit at the time, Love all it. this stuff. And I was so excited to run this. And it fell flat on its face. Yeah. This, this Why? Was not as expecting. Well, yeah, what okay. happened? A couple reasons. Um. First of all, this was a heroes campaign. These were going to be like the heroes of the city. They were going to turn the city around because it was under the, under this grip of these metahumans and the, the, this organized crime and these guys running weapons and all these things were happening. And my players didn't give a shit. <laughs> nope. These guys were mercenaries. So about two or three games in, I immediately had to shift gears. I'm like, okay, so well, that's a no to the just Hall of Justice. All right, so how are we going to do this? Now our heroes are working for a crime boss. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, huh. so, no, no, so stay with me here. So then they, um, now they're complaining. They're like, oh, this guy's like a billionaire. And he asks me like for his help. Oh, so they didn't even like that. I'm like, okay, so you don't want to do it for the warm and fuzzy motivation, and you don't want to do it because you're getting paid as a motivation. You're killing me, Smalls. Um, <laughs> well, the biggest problem with that, right right off the bat, Tony, is because I've played a lot of uh, Marvel 2. Uh, it's a great system, but it's, it's what it is. It is literally built to be comic book characters to be the heroes in the comics everything about it is to to make that happen um so running a bunch of deadpools is i mean it's doable but it really it it's not the right system for it right you should like you need a different system i think i and these guys were not nearly as amusing as deadpool not by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) you don't even have the humor value like give me something so like what do you what could you have done differently? I mean, so like, well, what do you, I got, what do you I got like more mistakes. To go? <laughs> I got a list. <laughs> yeah, I got a list of things that went wrong here. Um, yeah, what could I have done differently with that? Okay, well, that leads into my final point, so I can't skip that one. The one thing I could have done went better one was I needed to very strongly and concrete and maybe spell it out and write it on the wall some very clear guidelines of their powers. Because they weren't really clear. Like in Dungeons and Dragons, you're a second level fighter. You're probably not going to run up to a fire giant and say, bring it. Because you're going to get smoked. No pun intended. Um, But these guys didn't grasp that. They have powers. I have energy attacks. I'm super strong. You know, can I lift a, you know, I explained to them how much they can lift. But like, you know, can I like jump 
over a building while holding an armored car. Then the building is like a skyscraper. I mean, we're getting into all the real minutia. There's a lot of different mechanics that are much more over the top than 5e. So that's something I could have, I could have really outlined um, more clearly up front. Because when I explained it in game, there was a lot of like, well, what, what, what do you mean? I can't throw an armored car, a city block, uh, stuff like that. Did the game support um, you in that? Like, was there, was there, was there, were there guidelines in the game to help you understand that? Yes, but everyone Absolutely. was new to the system. Okay. So they kind of wanted me to put this out there for them without doing the legwork. So um, when they tried to do it, this is what happened in game, but they were expecting something else from their own perspective. Another big problem was with tied to that. So one of the characters based himself on Lobo. I don't know how familiar with this character. Yeah. He's a super a wolf. badass. Yeah. Yeah. Super badass. So he's basically a new, brand new character version of Lobo and wants to know why he isn't one-shotting everybody. And then he's constantly referring to Lobo. And he's like, well, Lobo in this episode punched Superman and he flew into the stratosphere. And I'm like, okay. Lobo's higher level. <laughs> In, in a way, game. that's you're like, a level the, one Lobo. He's level again. It's, it's a lot of it's the system. It's just it. Mm. You Marvel specifically is incredibly robust, uh, and as Tony said, super crunchy. Um, <laughs> but uh, it plays for what it is. It's meant to be played to bring comics to life. It's so it's it doesn't allow necessarily the freedom I think as a lot of other RPGs do in the same way. In terms of, uh, you know, choices and like that, you know, you're a hero. That's what you do. Like, you know, so. So, I mean, so, yeah, so I guess really what we're looking at here is and I've seen this come up a few times in my own games, too. Sometimes communication is the biggest trick and kind of setting the level and expectation of what a thing is going to do. Now, when I'm playing or DMing D&D, I go out of my way to try to base things on kind of what is in the book. So, for instance, we had the game where I was playing uh, Storm King's Thunder. And my character's a bugbear, and he's got like a twenty. He's got an eight-ton strength, <laughs> and he's got all sorts of like these things kind of stack up. And I'm looking, and I actually go in the book, find oh, I can lift. Apparently, I can comfortably carry a thousand pounds. How heavy are those boulders? Five hundred pounds. Tony, I run over, I pick up a boulder, I start blocking the door with these five hundred pound boulders. Love it. But I didn't base that on I want to do something crazy and out of my out of my out of my out of my colon. You know, I I actually went and made sure I had the numbers and i guess you do as a dm running that kind of game with that kind of player and sometimes that kind of player can be me you really do need to kind of have a feel for okay they have an 18 decks what am i going to let them do with that you know they have a they have an 18 strength how high is the jump d in dnd it is all in there like it's not too hard to find but if you don't have a handle on it and you guys get kind of spitballing about, well, I could do this, I could do that, and it's off base. All of a sudden, you wind up setting a precedent that the player can like carry a 500-pound boulder and jump 25 feet in the air. And you don't want to get in that precedent because now you've made a mistake that's going to, again, warp your entire game because you've set an expectation the players can do something that they really can't. And now yeah. the whole game's based around them not being able to do that, and they can often use that kind of that kind of mistaken interpretation to warp the game moving forward. And it sounds like Tony, is that kind of what happened in your game? Um, that yeah, that there were some real uh, differing expectations from what the rule said. So if someone looks at a, like a strength score in this system, goes, "Oh, I have a 50 strength. Well, I could clearly do this." 
That's right, amazing, well, by the way, guys. That's yeah. <laughs> 50 is amazing. Yeah, oh, so who, that, whose yeah. job? Whose I job is high? Tony. Whose job I, is it to know this? Whose well, that, job is it to know what, like, is it the player's job to understand what their stats mean, or is it the DM's job to set the boundaries and tell them what their stats are going to be? be a super on-your-face technical answer. So they're a character who, in this case, was a character who got their powers from an experiment that went sideways. Very mm-hmm. original. Now, But with that said, he's trying to field test his powers he wasn't born with. I had one character, she was born with those powers, so she had a pretty good field of what her upper limits were. He didn't. So honestly, it kind of makes sense in the continuity of the game. It's like, I'm going to throw an armored car city block. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> roll. <laughs> like, what can I say? Let's see how this happens. Um, so he had an idea about how strong he believed he was. And in actuality, he wasn't. 50 strength is very strong. But, you very, know, very, very, very strong. Yeah. Uh, I will say, I think added to this, though, I, I, I don't know if it's a matter of necessarily the, the rule set in a way. But the, as, as Tony's been talking more about it, it sounds almost like let's say you you're making a, a D&D game. Right. And you get yeah. everybody together for session zero and they make all their characters and they're going to be, let's say, the Hobbit. Right. So they're they're a bunch of brothers and cousin dwarves. They're going to take back the mountain for their old people. You know, blah, blah, blah. There's the setup. Right. So they're good characters. They have a quest. Blah. And then session one starts and all of a sudden every single one of them has decided that their alignment is chaotic evil. It's kind of. It takes the whole idea of, okay, this is the campaign I'm helping to build for you, and now it literally just opens up the window and throws it out. Because everything changes with that at that point. Well, that is, and that's kind of potentially, I know many DMs consider that to be a problem. Uh, Many DMs have run the Chaotic Evil campaign. In fact, we talked about it in our first episode, Tony. We talked about your Chaotic Evil campaign. Mm. Many DMs have run that only to find that, hey, Chaotic Evil characters have nothing to adventure for and I can't control them. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I would actually, I think I have an idea of how I would tackle that, but I'm a pretty experienced DM, and my first thing is going to be to sit down at the table and tell them, okay, gosh, so what are you doing? Like, I'm going to take all the onus off myself to give them motivation. If you're chaotic evil, you've got to be self-motivated or your characters are spending their entire adventure sitting on the couch. And then we're not going to have a lot of fun. Right. So you but guys are going to tell me what your chaotic evil supervillains want to do. Go. But if you're going to be the Avengers and then all of a sudden you're Deadpool, well, that's a, that's a completely different storyline. Yeah, you you're know? not running so the it, Avengers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not. You, so I think yeah. a lot of it, that's. That's weird. That, I don't, you know, well, I think that goes back to communication yeah. and setting, like you yeah. say, setting expectations about let's run whatever game we want to do. But I mean, as the DM or in Marvel, it's the judge. Uh, they have to be willing to Good run Lord. that, though, right? They have to be able to willing to run that because they're going to be putting in a lot of time to help, you know, put these encounters together and all of this. So. Make sure that it's something that they want to run, too. Don't pull a fast one on them, and all of a sudden you're trying to, like, knock over an old lady for a bag. I don't know how that helps your karma, you know? <laughs> wow, nice tie in there. Um, oh, yeah, so we're going to do a whole for... Marvel episode. This is... We'll have to. <laughs> I mean, is, players' bullshit like this is why I don't plan too much anymore. <laughs> this, is why, this is why I leave it open, because players, you know, I, I don't mind if they do that. I think they have a right to play their characters. The characters are theirs. The world is mine. This is why I don't overplan. 
because there's nothing worse than spending a week planning out an adventure for heroes only to find out you got a bunch of villains who don't give a fuck about your adventure. Right. But then all your villains are now the Avengers, right? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so, Tony, what, I'm sorry, Tony, what were you saying? Well, my final thought on this one pocket there was that you're the director of the story. You have to cast the right players in the right roles, and you've got to know your audience. That's my takeaway from that. As far as the evil campaign goes, in the entirety that I have been gaming, I mean, since like the late 80s to today, to like the last game we ran Friday night, I have had three successful evil campaigns that I've been part of. Um, Pretty good. I'd say, oh, yeah, only three. And all three of them were an absolute blast. One was set in Palladium. One was um, set in second edition D&D. Actually, no, we, okay, we had, two, we had two in second edition D&D. But one of them, or one was in first, one was in second, but one I DM'd, I don't count as a success, really went off the rails really hard. And I believe I covered this previously. That was the one yeah, I think the we way- talked about in the first episode. With, that was the one with the infamous uh, Pixie Fire, right? That was uh, a Pixie Fire. Well, I wish that was the only problem. That, yeah, that's the drow cleric of Syrac was robbing the party blind for multiple levels, and everyone was plotting against each other, and there was this whole web of intrigue of who's going to murder who. And the best part about this story was the point was that they were seeking out the lost dragon orb to gain control of all the dragons in the surrounding areas. So they could basically take over the northern hemisphere. And they, they they went through all these quests, found these keys, went to the Anorak Desert. They're like 17th level now. And they get in the last module to claim this orb. And these guys fucking tripped at the finish line they all tried to kill each other and they did it was incredible <laughs> i had been dealing it was... this campaign for damn near a year and a half two years and these 17th level guys just go bloodthirsty it's like i don't trust this fucking guy now's my chance i don't trust this fucking guy now's my chance stab backstab shape change oh you have this power crap run away and then my one character i think like <laughs> Thorns there, a psionicist there, and they're like, what's happening? Like, what's going on? Crickets. And I will say, I was in that game, and I was was a player kind of coming from the outside after the game had started, and I didn't have a good, like, I didn't didn't know this was going on. A lot of this is going directly from player to DM. Um, I'll throw out there. You missed part of this game, and you came back for, like, the finale. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll throw out there, though, this is something I do find to be a mistake sometimes. It's tricky. Player DM direct communication outside of the game can be very effective for character building and, and kind of pro- progressing things that are kind of unique to that character. However, I find it can be very dangerous, too, because if there's too much of players kind of going. So what I mean is the players in DM role playing directly outside of the game session and outside of the rest of the party. If the DM lets too much of this go on, a couple things can start going wrong. You can start having, number one, this player tends to start being a bigger focus on the story because you're communicating more outside of the game, and that does tend to warp the story. They tend to have more of the story for them. If they're gaining XP, they can get ahead of the other players in power level. 
And also, that dude you're playing with on the side often winds up having kind of an outsized impact on what the on, he starts influencing you as a DM because you're doing so much more of the game with those play with that player. I think you got to be real careful with that because that felt like it went on a lot in that game where there were players communicating directly with you as a DM and making their own side plans. Where if you had not allowed as much of that, would you really have that problem at the end? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not, man. This is a long time ago, but I could not believe I had DM'd a campaign for that length. And all these guys, I mean, just imagine being in a room with all your friends and they decide in the 11th hour, you know, the finish line is literally in sight and they're like, okay, I'm killing all the guys over there. And they're like, what? And then my one buddy lost his shit. Like he, like Scott was pissed. For literally months, they tried to murder him, and he's like, "What?" Like his mind was blown, and he went up killing a couple of them, and, and they're like, one guy escaped, and it was, yeah. I do remember Scott's character work. turned Scott's character turned into. I can't even tell you what Scott's character was, but I remember he did turn into like a blue dragon, breath weapon the dead party member until he was ashes, and then stomp the ashes to, to into the ground to make sure he could not be resurrected. And he sure wasn't. Uh, but wasn't, hold on though, wasn't Scott's character also opposed to the party in some way? Wasn't he someone else's agent working, like who was actually going to betray us anyway? He was the he was the drow cleric's agent, but he was really separate from all this. And here's the real irony of this, the real, the hilarity, brace yourself. This cleric of Syrup, who had been screwing everyone the whole time at the end, had planned to cut everybody in thoroughly at the end and only i knew this like everyone's gonna get their own kingdom and this and that and there would have been evil harmony and these guys were angry and jealous and sick of his bullshit and they were out for justice and blood and well yeah, hold on you said i think out. you might have said the key word there you said the word jealous yeah, sounds true to form for why, you know, uh, thieves, guilds, and villains and stuff usually can't. You know, the Justice League will always be stronger in the end because Lex Luthor <laughs> and Brainiac can't work together, you know, in the end. They they have, you know, they can't rise beyond their own uh, jealous I, ambitions. I'm somewhere caught between being speechless of those events and, yeah, I, I knew this was happening five games ago. It was like just that time bomb that was just sitting there and I'm watching it go and I'm like can't we hug it out no no well i mean but so 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 what did you learn from that then i mean like what would you what kind of advice would you get would you give another dm with an evil party that maybe might go this way how can they prevent it okay here it is if you are going to run an evil campaign this is your formula for success in all three of my campaigns that were extremely and wildly successful the the first edition D&D monster campaign, the Palladium game, and my second edition D&D game, that all really, everybody just gelled. You guys are evil, but you need to work as a team. You must be a team. And this is actually a real in-game conversation. I remember in the Palladium game, we were basically um, all kind of, Palladium, you can be anything. Like some guy was a super soldier, I was a mutant, another guy had psionic powers, another guy was a ghost with multiple personalities. I had a, at least to say, I had a super eclectic group. And we all sat down and said, we all have powers, we all have weaknesses, and we're going to put all our bullshit aside, and we're going for our goals. And when we did, we couldn't be beat. Hmm. 
Well, you know, yeah, you need the players to align themselves a little bit. But I, again, it comes down to the players have to handle it, though, right? I mean, you kind of, as a DM, I think it sounds like the best thing you can do is just make sure that they understand they got to figure out a reason they want to play together. They got to figure out a reason they want to they want to adventure together. And if the char- if the players bring in characters who are opposed to each other and would be natural enemies, I know as a DM what I would do, and it sounds like what you have to do for what you're saying is basically kick it back to them. All right, you guys can come in here as whatever you want to play, but you're figuring it out. You know, you tell me how this works, because if this doesn't work, you're going to kill each other pretty quickly, and I'm not going to stop you. How can I really stop him? You're, you're, I'm sorry, you're lawful evil, and you're chaotic evil, and he's pissed off, and he's jealous? Well, it sounds like you're going to fight. <laughs> That's yeah, the problem with the Sith, right? Uh, yeah, I think it, it, it's one of those things where I, would, I really want to handle that with player, again, and I said this too much, player agency. I want to kick it back to the players. I want, I want to, I want to, you know, I, it's, it's like, you know, you guys, you know, you're in this party for whatever reason you want to be in this party, but you figure it out and you tell me how this works and why this works and why you're not killing each other. Because if it kind of comes down to a situation where it's on me that the party killed each other, I'm not buying it. <laughs> you know, it's not my job right? to make the party get along. It's, it's, it's my job to run the rest of the world. You guys are handling this part. Mm. If we don't get along, we'll just make a PvP. It's a different kind of game. So it's just a battle royale. Then that, that could be a session. Same thing. We've we've talked about a lot of things that have gone wrong in our games. I'm going to bring up what is potentially one of the biggest uh, DM mistakes. I think, um, and it's a little different. So as a DM, you we've talked a lot about managing players, managing rules, trying to make trying to make the game work. What really falls apart is when you get tired of trying to make your game work. And that's something maybe we don't put it, pay enough attention to. So much of what we talk about with DMing here and also like online is about what makes a you know good good DM, bad DM, player happy. If the player's happy, is a good DM. Players are mad, it's a bad DM. But you can get to a point mm. where you can be unhappy as the DM of a game, and then the game really falls apart. Because if the, you can't keep yourself engaged... Then you then then the game is going to fall apart because you know if you're not there they can't play. You are to some extent the most important player as much as you know you don't want to think like that at the table. You've got to keep yourself interested and sometimes some of these some of these concessions you make to players or some of the ways you got to you got to run the game can really or just even the the the, the responsibility of running the game, I find can wear you down. And there's sometimes where, you know, if you don't manage yourself and if you're not happy playing the game, the whole thing can fall apart. I mean, you guys run into that at all? Burnout, DM burnout. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, as they call it. Sure, sure. I haven't, I don't think. Uh, well, the well, new I am also that, but yeah, uh, I've come close to it at points, though, definitely. If it feels like you're the one that's having to push harder than, uh, than anyone else, you know. And meanwhile, you're doing the heavy lifting already. Tone, you were saying? Um, one of the things I positively love with a with a capital 64 uh, font L about fifth edition is the <laughs> rules are so concrete and when I was playing in second and these other editions uh, fourth edition had very concrete rules but at what cost it it was like oh my god let me see okay Thorne let me see your nine page character sheet let's review I mean <laughs> yeah. that was just yeah. just too much I mean for multiple multiple reasons. Good God. I mean, yes, you probably run into this year before yourself. Have you run into games where you kind of find yourself not having fun as the DM? Yes. When 
I'm having these intensive rule discussions about magic resistance and with these guys who want to do nutty off the wall shit like every single encounter. And it's like, let's stop and let's have a magic theory debate. And 5e really handles a lot of this. But in the previous editions, it was like the Wild West of D20. And that really sucked the air out of the room for me. And it kind of broke the mood. It broke the ambiance. I just like, and that's when we play Roll20, we're on there. Everybody sees the map. They got their characters and their story. And we really hit the ground running. I still keep coming back. A lot of that is when you curate certain groups. You know, you have certain players, you know, because we all have several different game groups. Some active, some not over time, all of that. But you have certain players that you're like, I want them in the game. Eh, they're okay. I definitely want them in the game. And I think with some of these, uh, Tony, your game specifically, um, and I think uh, the the group we have going through Strahd right now are some excellent because they just, they understand what the game is and they're there to have a good time and, and they're invested in it. And it completely changes the uh, the outcome. It completely changes the environment of it where, you know, not so much as on the DM, you know, in my, I, I feel, I mean, there's still a lot, but it, you want to do it because they're so invested because they're like, you know, like you were saying, throwing their side messaging saying, Hey, I want to, <laughs> Hey, Hey. And I, and you have several people doing that and you're like, this is awesome. So I can coordinate this. They they're invested in the world. They give a damn, you know, and that's what, for me, that's that's one of the beauties of, of DM, and that's what that's the reward is seeing people just having a blast because then I have a blast, and I think it's the same for you guys. Yes, it's definitely easier when you come in and everyone's up and ready to go, and they know how to do their stuff. One of the things that does make it harder is when the is when the DM when is DM you need to keep walking people through their character sheets. Oh. You know, I do. It is it is much better when the players know their characters. Um, the players don't know their characters. Then again, it's okay. Now I got I have to be the DM and the player in this instance, and that can really start to grind on you. That's um, fun for like, a session or two, maybe. But then at yeah. some point, like, come on, you know, show that you're investing a little bit in this. Yeah. Honestly, the best way to handle it, and again, we, this came up during the rules discussion a couple episodes ago, is I love to have a player at the table who really knows the rules, and I can use, number one, to help other characters. I can ask him to, because I'm probably setting up the adventure, or I'm setting up the monsters or whatever, or I'm ad-libbing, so i got to figure something out right now, and I can ask another player to help that player. Uh, the same with if I can't remember a rule, a lot of times the best way to handle it is to ask another player, hey, how does this rule work? And then you have someone who's not up in the initiative order go dig it up in a book and tell you what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that that's that's one way to do it, because otherwise you do wind up in the space where, OK, I'm bringing the adventure and now I'm also trying to guide how they because, I mean, the player's job is to, what do the players do? You know, the players control their characters. And in my games, 100 percent, the players control their characters. I'm not railroading anything. Do whatever you want. But that means I got to work everything else and I have to work everything else harder because I need to adjust it all to whatever your characters are doing. So I'm really focused on that. And if I then need to go back and also tell you what your characters are doing. Yeah, it's 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 it just turns into, you know, uh, you know, they they say playing Magic the Gathering against yourself is, quote, magturbation. (laughs) I don't know. I don't have a clever (laughs) D&D version of that word, but it's something like that. You know, yeah, it's uh, yeah. it just turns it, it turns into a masturbatory exercise, which isn't really gratifying. I have also had times when a player is really into the game, 
but from a different angle and kind of values different things. Like kind of, we talked about kind of one of my, one of my, one of the players is a good friend of mine really wanted to play it more like a minis game or a magic or a card game yeah. where he's really kind of min max. He's really just kind of building a deck essentially with his character in that got to be a little bit tiring because it's, I'm trying to have fun with the world, but then this player really wants to get all my bullshit out of the way so he can just kill whatever I put in front of him. He wants to think of his deck first deck that got to be tiring. Um, mm. And I guess all these things really come down to really, you know, Dave, like you say, uh, you know, how you curate the group and also how you communicate both ahead of time and during the game. Like there's certain conversations I don't want to open up as a DM. Like if I decide to do something or like I decide to introduce something, I don't really want to have the side conversation with a player telling me they don't like that I did that. I want them to handle it in game. I want them to tell me what their characters are doing about it. Um, because I you can a, fix anything in game, you know? Yeah, if I can say, I can, I can, I have a good example of this in your game, the writer's group game uh, with my cleric. Uh, and as I said, I think in one of the previous episodes, I think I sent you a three-page backstory um, <laughs> because I'm excessive. Uh, it'll come up. It'll come up. It just didn't no, come no, up. No, yet. no, not not because of that. No. Um, my point was is that as we were going through the game, you would ask me things. You would be like, "Oh, so you're a priest? So you know what? What you know? The church or the temple or what?" And with the backstory I had, I was going, "Well, no, I hadn't gone." But then at some point I went, wait a second. No, I would have spent some time at that. And I kind of went with it because you had kind of thrown it out there a couple of times. So I said, oh, that's actually kind of cool. And I allowed that interplay back and forth of you also being I get to help uh, adjust your world. So why shouldn't you be able to adjust the world that my character existed in? You know, like that mm -hmm. back and forth. And I think that's important. And what we're really talking about is there needs to be that back and forth and that that openness to maybe this isn't what you thought, but could it become better if we added this mm. or subtracted that, you know, and being open to like, it's a game. Let's have some fun. It doesn't have to just be this way. Right. We don't have to railroad everything. When I'm looking back at the campaigns that I both experienced as a player and as a DM, where it really had the best feel the characters were the most interesting. They were on point and they were creative. We, we kind of got, we went back and forth about, were we a story driven DM or do we let the characters drive the plot themselves? And when I believe you've got that beautiful synthesis of both, that's where the magic actually occurs. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. So, yeah, I can see you if you're if you're really if Thorne, if you're trying to do all the heavy lifting and you're story driven or you're trying to prepare for everything and the players don't have that. And perhaps for whatever reason, they don't understand their options. They don't have, you know, fleshed out their characters. Um, perhaps they haven't found their groove. Then, yeah, that can absolutely be draining. I completely agree with that. But on the same token, um, I've been in ca campaigns where, my God, that that story was, like, sparse. I was practically standing on graph paper. But that campaign actually ended out pretty cool because I had a bunch of guys together who were some really experienced players who were decent, who had good characters, and were like, okay, so this campaign, the plot sucks. But you know what? <laughs> I want to play this character. This is happening. Uh, uh, that's good. That's you know, I... I really do kick that back to if the plot sucks, the plot's really what the players want to do, though, I would think. The plot can only suck if the DM makes you play his plot and he's got a shitty plot. Mm. 
That is also a point, too. You know, so long as you're kind of kicking it back to, okay, what do the characters want to do? I think you I think you can keep yourself in a pretty safe spot there because, really, you're letting them decide what they want to do. You know, you're letting, you're letting them tell their story. Uh, I have a board game here called Call to Adventure where, as you play the game, you're kind of building a character story. And at the end of the game, whoever's the best character wins. Uh, the most interesting kind of character by a point system. And that's kind of the DM, that's the kind of the, 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 the role-playing I like to play, you know. What's your character doing? What, what, what are you guys doing together? What is your goal? And I just kind of, I keep everything moving, but I, I'm going to kick, I don't, I really don't want the players to be looking at me as the one telling them the story. I want them to look at me as the one running the world and the story's kind of coming together between all of us. That's kind of how I like things to be as a DM. That's kind of personal preference. I, I actually kind of like that. The more you talk about that, I feel like, cause we're, we're always talking about between story and players. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's kind of the same thing. Thing because even if you have an idea of the overall arc of the campaign, let's say, or the tier or whatever, there's still the ability for it doesn't exist until it happens. So mm-hmm. until players engage with it or whatever, it doesn't exist, but it's there. And I think that's where the level of story comes in that the DM at least has an idea of for you, it's things are happening in the world. So if we run into them, that's the story. That's the plot. And it's there. But you're not saying, OK, well, they need to hit this at level five and then they need to beat this guy at this session. And if they don't meet this, I think there's 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 a difference uh, between those two things. But I think what we're all talking about is kind of the same thing. Mm. Possibly. I don't know. Tony might completely disagree with me, but, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the first time. No, uh, <laughs> that's all solid reasoning here. Uh, I want to kind of wrap up my bit here. Yeah. with uh, a story of a very infamous blunder. This one I can't take credit for, but I was part of this campaign. Uh, it was not an intentional blunder. Actually, this campaign was um, centered around, uh, we were a bunch of cyber knights from Palladium, and um, we were chasing this vampire, and she is vampirist, and she was incredibly powerful and sinister, and she, we were tracked her down to the Antarctic, and she had decimated she basically went into a giant uh, coalition transport. This is the evil future empire. It's kind of like the empire for Star Wars. <laughs> and she went in there and basically killed everybody single-handedly. This giant transport ship filled with all these mech suits and planes and guns and bombs and missiles. And that's where her trail and we could follow her south. And I said – we're like third level, maybe fourth. And like, you know, we were hot on our trail. And I said, no way. Stop right there. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, fuck this shit. We're selling this right now. And they're like, what? We've got to stop the vampires. And I'm like, no, no, she's out of our league. And I'm just running some fast math in my head. There's like uh six trillion credits worth of stuff right here and the dm was like slack jawed <laughs> it never that didn't actually come together for him and guess what and i went back to the, the, the cyber Knight school with all this money he's like you let the vampire go that's awful i'm like here's a hundred million credits and he's like my son it's okay <laughs> and that's how the campaign ended at level four but um really Yep, that's was it supposed to. I mean, I don't know. I feel like you could roll from there, right? I mean, you got a lot of money, you get some stuff, but you but you're chasing this bad guy who obviously can already tear through all that stuff because she did. 
and I had something like 300 million credits in my bank account after I bought all the coolest stuff in that universe. And so I'm like, I'm good like with this. A crime boss. So, so, so basically, so as a player, you didn't want to play anymore. Uh, yeah, no, I felt like at that point at level four to have three hundred. I mean, I understand the system. Like, mm. you mean you you dabbled in this? That yeah. was more. That'd be equivalency of having twenty five dragon hordes, and we split it up. And we're like, okay, so everybody take all the stuff and all these dragon hordes between like three people, and we're like, yeah. We're done, right? Yeah, we're done. So, all right, see you on the flip side. And that that was that. I mean, there's still more game to play. The character, I mean, the, the, the villain can come back and, and still kill the character. You just, But as a player, do you want to drop out? Like, did, did the DM and you just kind of decide not to keep going? Or how? why did that end there? Uh, honestly, th- there was no character motivation at that point. If the vampirist came at me and she's like, blah, I am going to finish you off i'd stop i'd hand her like gold card i'm like leave like get out of here <laughs> you're american express black yeah seriously i know you're sliding on money trying to get over here to me they bite me on my neck but really knock it off you're diving into it like scrooge mcduck <laughs> like it, it was just uh, it was indes- an indescribable amount of cash uh, like yeah. you might as well give me an infinity sign on my black platinum card i mean Yes, but it's a weird because it's kind of a weird situation though, right? Because okay, that happened, but you clearly could continue the game from there, you know. It's but you guys decided to stop the game, and I guess it's like you said, it's because your your player didn't have any reason to. But there isn't any reason you couldn't have continued with the game from. I mean, I mean the obvious fix is you just could have had the coalition come back and just take all their stuff and tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, also on the flip side of this too, um, we took all this stuff off of our arch nemesis like these are the this is the emperor so like hey we just took all your shit not stuff you're not gonna have now and we do and uh um yeah could we do i really put the dm for stopping the campaign what I'm a sorry. badass way to retire your character yeah okay that's fair that's fair but i mean yeah it's it's kind of like like it sounds like it was kind of a combination dm player decision i don't know it's kind of a weird spot because you certainly can play your way out of that Players got a lot of money, all right. I steal a lot of money from the players. <laughs> or you get, you really let them, you let them buy all the coolest shit, and okay, you still got to go stop the vampire. How's that go? <laughs> yeah, you're still in this giant galaxy where you know. I mean, a lot of people have a lot of money, and who wants it? And what can you do with it? And you know, now you're Jabba the Hut, and you're running you know smuggler. Unga Wonga, Dave. You know what's actually an interesting thing to do in, in a part? It, it, an interesting thing to do in your game is this. So players tend to adventure to get access to items and money and and levels, of course. But if you give the players a big problem and a ton of money, unlimited resources, you know, let them figure, you let them tell you what they're going to do with it. And then you, and then you figure out if it works because it's a really interesting experiment in just kind of giving the players total control. I'm not limiting your resources. Like we've talked about this a little bit. I talked about this a little bit in a, in a, in a Facebook forum recently, actually. Someone was saying, yeah, they, their, their character started with a noble background. The noble background has his parents' money. He can kind of get almost anything he wants from the player's handbook. It doesn't matter. Like, okay, yeah, you can get anything you want from the player's handbook, but there is no suit of armor that's going to help you beat a dragon. You know, you tell me, even if you can afford anything, even if you have unlimited resources, the player still has to figure out how are they going to use those resources to go do, kill the dragon or whatever they want to do. And I think that's actually kind of an interesting thing to play through sometimes. Give the players what they think they want and then still get ask them how they're going to deal with this impossible challenge. 
So, all right. So, uh, any other DM mistakes we want to cover today? Well, again, I, I stick still by my, uh, by my initial thing. You know, I think there are things we could call mistakes, but in the end, uh, if you're not making mistakes, I don't think you're DMing, or at least not DMing well, because you should be putting yourself in a position where you don't know where the hell you are. Uh, because then that next game and that next game and the next game, that's how we get all of this ability to say, oh, well, I did this. Or I did that. I did this. Or as Tony and you guys said, you turn it into some amazing games. What about you, Tony? Anything else? Uh, final thoughts. Um, I am not going to push or be a promoter of TPKs, but your players must have that fear. I'm walking into mm. a cave. I'm walking into the dark woods. There is going to be something that could pop out that could wreck us. And just like the fear of death, it has to be present. Or there's no tension and games where you just assume you're going to show up, get XP, get some treasure, and go home really aren't that interesting. Yeah, yeah, got to agree on that. I guess for my parting shot, I would just say, uh, you know, be mindful of the little things. Yeah, I don't really think it's the TPKs or the mistake villain or the mistake kind of monsters that really can be ongoing problems. But be mindful of the house rule that gets out of control, ramping up the player's level to the point where you're going to wind up warping what kind of monsters they can fight. These are the things that, to me, uh, can really be long-term mistakes DMs can make and can come back to haunt you more. You know, um, killing a player of accident can be a problem. Hopefully the player has a cool character he wants to come back in with. But basically killing your world because you've you've done something stupid with what you gave the players, that could be a bigger problem. So, you know, be mindful of that and try to mm. think ahead. Try to think ahead to what problems this might cause and most importantly, how are you going to get rid of this problem if it does become a problem? Always keep that in mind. So, yeah. all right, guys. Great talking to you. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Good times. My pleasure. Thank you all for listening to Three Wise DMs. You can find our podcast pretty much anywhere podcasts are played. You can also visit us at threewisedms.com where we have article content, the podcast, and more. If you want to, please drop us a line at threewisedms.com uh, on our Facebook, uh, Instagram, or uh, Twitter pages, or through email at threewisedms at gmail.com. We would love to hear the kind of problems you're having in your game and how we can help you, how we can cover more things that will help you DM better and put on great games. Until next time, Three Wise DMs signing off.